way back for most of our history, uncertainty is dangerous. That's why you see, so for example, these days with the conflict between people that are woke or anti-woke, they get into tribalism because they do not understand each other. And when you don't understand each other, you can't predict each other's actions. And when it's something unpredictable, it creates anxiety and anxiety very often creates anger. I think that's a big problem. And, and, and I think it's a big problem that people are not able to have debate anymore. That it's difficult to communicate. I think it's a very big problem that people have to listen, that all that people want to say what I can or cannot say. That's an extreme problem in my eyes. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we're speaking with Nico Verison. He is a psychologist. He is an executive coach, also a public speaker. Nico, could you please introduce yourself, let people know just a little more about you, please? Well, after a 12-year career as a Muay Thai fighter, as a professional fighter in Muay Thai and mixed martial arts, I had to stop fighting because I forced my body too much. I had seven surgeries at my eyes. And in that moment, I realized that just grinding it, the so-called rocky mindset, well, has a limited appeal. It gives you short-term wins. I, I had a lot of wins. I, I was a champion, uh, vice world champion, and European, multiple Belgian champion. But to get to my potential, just grinding it was not enough because you force your body into, well, a state of, well, hurt and so I, and in that moment I realized there must be another way there must be a way where you can not only thrive in intense situations in high pressure situations but also where you don't have to hurt your health your relationships or even your enjoyment of the process yeah I wish I knew that when I was younger also but we you know and I I I always loved that push yourself lifestyle, but you know, the hurts later in life, your bones and even your mindset, it can really devastate you. So when, when you couldn't fight and do your passion anymore, how did that affect you? And how did you get over that and carry on? Well, it, it was it was a real shock. I, I sacrificed everything. I uh, after my studies, I worked on the university. I was doing a PhD, but I decided no. I just go fully for my fighting because later I could always come back to the study. Uh, I sacrificed many women because fighting was my wife. They were my mistresses, you know. Yeah. And so, and then all of a sudden. I was I was having I had a contact to go to the States to to work in upstate New York in Ithaca, where Cornell University is, a wrestling school. So because I'm a Muay Thai fighter, it was perfect for me. And uh, besides, I was going to do the Ultimate Fighter, the TV show. And at the medical checks, you know, I was really shocked because I could see perfectly. And then when when the the eye doctor told me, no, no, you have to go to the specialist immediately. And once the, he told me, you can't fly, you have to get surgery immediately. 
everything fell down. And so, yeah, that was a real shock because it was my complete identity. I was a fighter. And besides that, yeah, I'm a psychologist and I, I, I kept studying because, you know, uh, as a professional athlete, you get paid to train, but also what is very important, what people don't realize, in order to peak, you get paid to rest, to recharge. I was not the best in that part. So what I did, I was studying all the time, you know. But, but then you come in this situation where you don't have that, that goal anymore. You don't live that life as that warrior anymore. The moments that you go to the ring for, many people hate it, but I loved it. It was that moment where you couldn't hide. It was that moment where I felt most connected with life where there was a crowd of thousands of people cheering you or booing you, which I loved even more. <laughs> it's the people in your corner that helped you to prepare, that were with you every step on the way that helped to push you or, in my case, calm me down. <laughs> and then you have, of course, your opponent who is there to do exactly the same thing as you to go to battle. And there's a very intimate connection in that that people never acknowledge. And because of all that, because of all this connection with all these other people, and because of the nature of the sport, the connection with yourself is undeniable. Yeah. And that's something I still miss up till this day. If Tomorrow I get a medical check and all of a sudden by wonder my eyes are healed. Eh, there is a very high possibility that I would have a few more fights, even though I'm much older, but you know. That <laughs> yeah, that, that spirit happened. will never leave either. You know, it, it sticks with you. And yeah, there's this sense of urgency sometimes. And, you know, I've heard you even say it on some of your interviews that, you know, life is short and it it's fleeting us. So we have to make the best of it now. Uh, when did you figure that out? Well, I was 21 and my father died. So in life, life gave me a pretty quick uh, quick me up. And that's why I, I still, for a few years, really went into it. You know, I was going to do on the world. I'm working on the university, but was that what I was going to dedicate my life to? And I realized, no, I want to live my passion, which was fighting. And so that's why afterwards it was a very hard thing because that was my passion. I loved it completely. Now, I mean, luck. I have a very open mind and I'm really interested in a lot of things. And after a ceremony with some shamans, there was a shift that happened. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute. It's not because I did not become the legend that I wanted to be, that I was supposed to be in fighting, that I am a loser, which I felt. I felt like a loser. No, it is this that can help me to help other extremely ambitious people to do it in a different way. And so I started to go really deep into research because I'm a psychologist. I'm not gonna tell my clients to burn some incense, sit on the mountain and work less. It's not gonna happen, it's not gonna work. No, I needed to create a system in which you can work a lot. You can live a lot without burning out. That's the key. It's not the what you do. It's not even the how many hours you work or the how many hours you do. It's about what quality do you bring to those hours? What quality do you bring to the hours that you work, to the hours that you spend with your family and your partner, to the hours that you spend alone? I see it a lot. Yeah. For sure in the States. People are 10, 12 hours on the office. And when you really start to look at what they are doing, real productive time, 
can be shrunken into three hours max. Very often. Because they're just working it, they're working, working, they're not efficient. They're just doing busy work. Well, if they just analyze what would give them the most bang for their buck, they can get much more done with less time. But if you're in the go mode, you will never be able to see that. There is no mental yeah. space for that. And, and it's important to have be able to push. It's even important to really uh, learn to enjoy that. So I'm not going to say you have to stress less. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. Stress is what makes life worth living. Without obstacles to overcome, without challenges to face, without a mountain to climb, there is literally no peaks to celebrate. And yeah. so once people start to realize that, starts to embrace it, this fact, something magical happens. And in research, they call this the effects of the stress is enhancing mindset. In other words, they, people that believe that stress is good, when you see, look at research, it seems to be true. Because people that have the longest, most healthy, most satisfied, and most successful lives are not the people with low stress levels. No, sir. Mm. It are the people with very high stress levels, but that do believe that stress is good for them. And that is quite logical when you see it. Because when becomes when does stress become dangerous? Well, when stress threatens you sleep, when you can't sleep, when, and then when you can't think about anything else. But if you understand that stress is a normal and a healthy part, a way of our body to adapt, to prepare our mind and our body to adapt to our environment, to the challenges life gives us in that moment, ooh, you can embrace that. And then after the fact, after you did your work, you can much more easy let that go. You don't have to worry about the negative effect of stress because you realize it's a normal, healthy thing. And when you look, and when the researchers start to look what happens in the body, it's fascinating. So people always think that you have only one stress response. It's the fight or flight, fight, flight or freeze response. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. Yes, it's true. Uh, the, 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 the stress response is generalized. So you get cortisol, adrenaline, and then when you, when you go after your goals, dopamine, which is pleasure, endorphins, uh, and all these other pleasure compounds. So you have the combination of energy, focus, and an urgency to act, which is the stress that you feel. Then you have the pleasure of the, the hunt, the dopamine, the pleasure of pushing through pain, which can also be emotional pain, which are endorphins. And so you have striving pleasure and stress that work together to help us to get to the goals. Now, the big problem with a lot of the go-getters of the grinders is that they do not enjoy the second pleasure system. So they go for one goal and then immediately hunt after the other one without enjoying what they have with the people they care about i want you to think like in old age what did we do we went after mammoths and it was very often it could be a week that we were hunting it was a long hard process little or no food harsh conditions danger everywhere around and then we got this mammoth we have to take it all the way back to our cave which is a humongous undertaking and then that's very important then there's a big feast. Then there is rest and digest. Then we celebrate together. We were talking stories, telling the story of this great hunt or of past hunts or of big wars. We're telling stories about the gods. We were dancing, we were singing, we were making sweet, sweet love and we we're eating a lot. And this in our body has a beautiful effect because it releases Two things, oxytocin and serotonin. Now, serotonin is what makes you feel calm 
and more secure. Why? Because it tells you you're an alpha, you're a champion. And what is interesting is that once this is high, the serotonin levels are high, you're much more likely to approach challenges than to go away from challenges. When you see it in mice, for example, you put two mice in, in a tube. When you have two mice in a tube, they will fight. They'll try to push each other out. It's, it's really interesting. It's like almost reflexive. Now, if you help one of the mice and you put a broom behind his bum and you push him through, really interesting is then this mice mouse will start to win more and more and more, whether we help him or not. Because in the brain, it believes I am the champion. And you see that you get like this positive spiral where people win and win and win and win. But that's very often forgotten by a lot of grinders. They do not take a time to realize, oh, I have this and I do this. For sure, along the way. They say, when I have that goal, then I will rest. But the problem is then you get, come to that goal, to that level, then now you're going to compare yourself with people who are on your level or beyond. And like that, you can keep on going until the moment and you need more and more because the satisfaction that comes from that is dopamine. And that means that it's like Coke. You need more and more and more. It's like you have like this black hole inside, this anxiety for more, this emptiness that you try to fill and that you try to cover with the accomplishments. But what does a black hole do? Aha, it's a black hole. It's very dense. So it sucks it in and it grows. And so, so like this, you need more and more every time you do it. Until the moment you get to the absolute top and you see that a lot. Look, for example, at uh, Robin Williams, who killed himself. He was absolutely on top of the world. That's a good point. Look at Jim Carrey, who was really depressed while he was the number one comedian. Because, yeah. Jesus, I've achieved more than I ever thought possible, and I still feel like shit. Because they were doing it not for themselves. They were not doing it because they chose this fully, because they wanted, because they enjoyed it. They did it because they wanted to be somebody for other people. And they forgot to enjoy in the moment. And that's one thing that you can do. Like every day, every step of the way, every step of the way, you can celebrate that you are overcoming your challenges, that you're the kind of person that does what most, that does that, that thrives, that even smiles where most people crumble. I often say, legends, they do it with a smile. Look at them. The people are absolutely fantastic. Um, Michael Jordan in basketball, Ali, they smile, they play. It's not the grind. Do you think they train less than other people? No, they train more. But they do it with a smile. In a way, they, they enjoy it. They are not suffering their way to the top. Yeah. You know, and another one to add to that list is Kobe Bryant, number 24. He He had that mindset of, not a vicious, I'm going to take, but he is going to take it because he wants it. And, and he actually had a list of individuals that he was watching and making an account. I'm going to take you off one at a time. You know, it doesn't matter how long it's, it's like you stated that hunt, that, that, challenge to get there and it is quite remarkable how you brought up Jim Carrey and Robin Williams because we see this a lot and I really felt that they had a passion for it but we can be changed through our atmosphere environment you know all of these things that we take in and consider and most of the time, we don't slow down and think about ourselves when we're taking those steps, because I guess we're on that high, that need for the next level. 
Very interesting. I so what's the drive behind Nico and how has that changed from when you were younger to now? What drives you now versus back when you were just starting out your ambitions? Well, in the beginning, I just wanted to be a warrior. As a child, I wanted to be a samurai. Then I realized it wasn't possible. Then a Native American, but I was not born as one. So yeah, I was, I was fucked. And then I decided to do... And then I, I came across Mutai and I fell in love. Because before I did Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, and I had to do push-ups all the time because I was too wild. But there, they were knocking each other down. I'm like, yes. I saw this beautiful, beautiful young girl. I think she was 60 kilos, 55 kilos, beautiful, kicking a guy in his liver and he, oh, going down. And I was like, oh, this is my sport. Yeah. And yeah. so it was, it was about that. I also had a lot of anger in myself because when my father was, when I was six, my father fell sick. And to be honest, most people dropped him like a sack of potatoes. When they could use him, he was a warm, giving, extremely strong man, but also very proud. So people didn't believe him. People thought he was a user, but he was just very proud. People didn't see how he was suffering, but he was always nice and check. He was shaven, he was clean, he had his shirt on. He was, he was a very proud man. A man of great strength, of great values. Um, and, and he supported me on, on the way once he was alive. My mom, she supported me too. So I was very lucky, actually, to have such yeah. caring and loving parents. Really lucky. And then I had my trainer, who was also a very powerful agent in my development. I was really lucky again. So I had two very strong but very warm caring men by my side when I grew up. And I want to become a legend. And when I look at the way I trained, I still haven't met many people that trained like I used to train. If I, I met more than 10 people that trained as hard as I did, it will be a lot. It will be a lot. And so that was the thing. I want to be a fighter. I want to be a legend. That was it. I also want to be a psychologist because I was a, quite a strange kid and I had a hard time understanding myself and even more other people. Women were an absolute mystery. As a kid, I didn't like them because, you know, stupid little girls. And then I got a bit older when the testosterone started to come up. And all of a sudden, these wonderful, magical beings. Yeah. You yeah. put you put a put a world champion in front of me. It was true. I smiled. Let's get this. <laughs> but the girl looking me in the eyes, down and gone. And so what did I do? Aha! What I knew best: get into the books, study. And so I started to study about psychology, about relationship, about all kinds of therapy, and I became really interested and and, and the specialist in all those things for sure in relationship therapy. Uh, because I saw so many people struggling. I was, I'm very perceptive, so I could see beyond the veil. So many people, oh, I'm happy, yeah, but if you look in their eyes, uh, there's, this, there's this emptiness, there's this aloneness, there's this lack of connection that I see. And people that work with me, very often after, after a while, we start to work on that. On, on, on how can you make a relationship really deeply fulfilling while you both are really ambitious. That's not so easy. Because we have the idea in our, in our society that a relationship is about compromise. No, that's not true. A relationship is a people-growing machine. It will not be easy. Because... What happens is we come together. Suppose you're bare and your wife, the, the woman you're attracted to, or the man, if you like that, is, is wine. Then you do some wine with your beer. 
she doesn't be with her wine until you're this mixture that nobody wants to drink. You have become an us. And it sounds very romantic. We are one. But if you're one, you, uh, you forget one thing. You will feel here. You will feel disconnected because you lost connection with yourself. The person that your partner fell for, you're not that anymore because you have compromised yourself so much. Until the moment you realize that if you do something else more, if you give more in more, you will compromise yourself. And so what happens then very often people separate, but then they're both right. broken because they're so intertwined. And they look for the next one and then the same thing happens. Oh, la-pa, insane. That's same right. pattern time and time again. Another possibility is what used to happen back in the day where you were actually punished socially for separation. And then it was like this. People were just here. They were living next to each other, completely next to each other. That's also not the great thing. The thing that I help my clients with is to do this, is to learn to stand on your own two feet. Learn to ease your own emotions. Learn to look in the mirror that the relationship offers you. And it's not going to be pretty very often. And it's very scary because when you're used for somebody needing you, when they stop needing you, you feel you can lose them. And it's true. When there's space, they can choose to go away. That's scary. Also, you have to, all of a sudden, you have to get, develop your own strength. You have to stand on your own two feet. But the nice thing about this is when you don't need each other anymore, then you know you choose each other. That lands yeah. much deeper. And then there's this space between you two where the fire can start to burn again, where you can come to, to yourself and close again. It's like this pulsation, almost a metaphoric orgasmic pulsation of going going separating and going closer and going closer and further from each other and that's what i call that's an adult, adult relationship when you look at a lot of relationship therapists they talk about adult attachment style which is based on the theory of how a child attaches to their mother and there is some truth in it don't get me wrong you will learn a lot about how we relate with others from when we were a child. However, the problem is it's only half the equation. Because if you're going to model your adult relationship to the relationship that you have with your mom, as an infant, it is dependency. And then we ignore the second very important need that we have, our need for self-determination, our need for authenticity. When you're here, you're two fakers. You're communicating from a fake uh, position. You're communicating from behind your masks. That feels very lonely. Because then, even if somebody loves you, you will think, well, they only love me because I, I do and act as if they want to. The opposite is also true. Some people realize this, and then they, they start to become a no-sayer. No hardened, locked off. And they, they, they make it a point to be difficult. Same thing happens. It is both anxiety. It's anxiety by, or you're going to mush together, or you're going to push each other away. Same thing. It is anxiety. Yep. The goal it's is very powerful. where you can become, yeah, where, where you can, can become non-reactive, where you can learn to not take everything that your partner does so personal. But that's, th that's the key to stay connected. Most people all connect with a person, another person, or connect with themselves. I have to work on myself, then I'm ready for a relationship. Yeah, it might be true, but very often not, because it's a whole other thing to stay connected to yourself while somebody else is pressuring you to give in. That is, that's exactly why I say right. it's a people-growing machine, you know, when you learn to hold on to yourself while your partner is pressuring you to give in. There comes like this, this kind of uh, respect in between each other where you hate, love to hate your partner because, you know, this is the person that I'm, I was attracted to. 
And when you learn to say no when you mean it, only then your yes starts to hold much more power, starts to become appreciated, starts to be a truly felt and received yes. Yeah, I can tell you that's powerful. Uh, my wife and I, we have been together for 40 years now. Oh. We got together and we started dating at 17. And I'll tell you, it's a remarkable journey taking. And what you just outlined there, dead on truth. There's that friction until you learn to stand on your own feet. And be yourself. You're entitled to your own voice, your own opinion. And I don't need a baby that I have to take care of. I want you to know who you are, what you want, and why you want it. And until you're perfectly honest with each other, to the core. I mean, my wife knows me dead on. And... We, we, it's, it's like now we just think it together and that's a difference. And it's really amazing when you let people live their life and don't judge them for who they are, because it is a learning and a growth process. And it takes a lot of time to let go what you've been taught by society and become who you truly are. I, I loved how you laid that out. It's it's just amazing. Uh, because life, it becomes a race. And everybody's so busy in it that they forget to slow down and enjoy it. So how, how can we slow down from that rat race of life and become more intimate? with life and where you are right now in the journey of life. Mm. I think it's important to start living with more intention. In mm. the self-help world, you have a lot of people that say, yeah, you have to do morning routines. And it's really important, but you don't have to do a five-hour routine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, very often, it's very simple to just write down in the morning what you're going to focus on. What is important for me today? It will take a bit more work. You can journal, you can do other exercises, or you can work with somebody like me that really helps you to do that, to really pinpoint, okay, what do I want to dedicate my time on this earth to? That's like this exercise that is absolutely powerful and absolutely painful for most people. It's you track where you put your time, and so you make a list of all the activities you do, all the hours you put in, all the energy you put in, you give the number, and then how much satisfaction, how much does this enrich your life? That's very often very difficult to see. I like that. And most people will not do it because, yeah, they know they're not doing it. That's why so <laughs> many people in the weekend are drinking themselves to pieces to forget about the horrible life they have. Or binge watch away Netflix these days. Yeah. It's understandable. If you're not living the life that you want, it's understandable that you want Big. to run away from the fact that you are wasting your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's truth right there. And and it's it's hard for people to digest that but when you can you can start building a life and it's a life that you imagine and it's amazing what that does for your growth internally your your health gets better you might not lose your pains aches and you know depressions but you can actually see what's happening and you can actually eliminate a lot of that suffering by educating yourself. And that's what a big part of this show is, is educating yourself to become 
the best you that you can be, not who somebody wants you to be or who you think you should be, but who are you? And discovering that is a journey. It, I, I can tell you honestly, it took me to the age of 50 before I began to really discover who I truly am. And when I really discovered that, and you stated that no, learning to say no and mean it and own it, that is huge. That's setting a boundary that makes you proud. Because I spent so many years in an addictive state where I had to please people. And I didn't know how to say no. And I would say yes and then not show up. And, you know, that's just, it degrades an individual when you can say no and mean it. And reverse that and say yes when you actually can instead of when you want to or when you are pressured to you know these decisions and boundaries are hard to set do you have techniques for people to discover how to set those boundaries and discover their inner self where they're worthy of being who they truly are I think your emotions are a very powerful tool. People are very often afraid of emotions, for sure when they're difficult, or sometimes when they're really good, because if you're really happy, it could be taken away. That's why many people will not go for their goals or will not really open up for real love because it could be taken away, and it will be taken away. That's a guarantee. Life creates sustains for a while and destroys as the, the circle of life. And once you start yeah. to come to grips with that, well, to me, I, I always say I was so depressed. I was such a dark kid. I was so dark that I had no choice but to see the light. Because mm. everything is perishable. Nothing is promised. Tomorrow is, tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow, the woman that I love so deeply that they have the best, beautiful, most sensuous moments with can go away or can die. And once you start to realize the most horrible possibilities, then you start to appreciate what you have much more. It's interesting, when I was working on the university and doing research to quality of life and happiness, some of the most happy countries were very poor countries where there was a lot of debt. It was incredible. But then I started to think, well, it might be interesting to conceptualize this as the fact that people realize that life is short, that life is precious, that food is precious, and that every time they have something, it's something to be grateful for. And we have forgotten this in the West very much so. To come back to the question, when you have those emotions, for sure when they relate to other people, it can tell you a lot about yourself. Very often how we feel about other people can tell us a lot about ourselves. Very often we are projecting certain things we like or that we do not like. So a beautiful exercise that you can do is you can look at who do I look up to in my near surroundings or on the bigger picture. It can even be a fictional character. And then ask you the most magical question ever. Why? Then you do the same thing with people you dislike in your surroundings or things. And also again, why? Then think, think about your best moments in life. And again, that beautiful question, why? And then your worst moments in life. Why? Because when you stress, when you have emotions, there's a reason. There's a reason that you care. I often say a life without stress is a life without meaning because it means that you don't care enough about something to stress about. To trigger your body to focus. 
And if you want to flow, to learn how to flow, a lot of people say, oh, I just want to flow. Yeah, but if you're not able to struggle, if you're not able to trigger your nervous system enough with stress and with challenge, you will never enter flow. People don't realize that you have the flow cycle and the flow cycle always begins with struggle. You have to work at the at the outer layer of what you're capable of right now. And you're gonna struggle and it's gonna be hard and, uh, and you're gonna grind. In this moment, you're gonna push it for a few moments. But if you realize, but I want you to do it with an intention that you realize it's because you will flow afterwards. So even though it might be very un unenjoyable in the moment, it's a pleasure because it will build your life. It will get you, propel you forward into flow. So you really grind, you grind, and then you take a moment off. Then you relax for 20 minutes. You talk with somebody, do some meditation. You take a warm bath, you go to sports, and then you come back and then you work. And then very often flow tends to happen. Yeah. You know, that's that's the way life is, an ebb and flow. And when you're in an ebb, that that is actually a learning phase or a, a learning phase. And, you know, I, I like how stress and challenges can actually make you better and you can become the best you under those conditions. And it makes you realize so much that you take for granted and it gives you a humbling if you will it, it makes you realize what you have to offer because there's there's a lot of people out there that don't understand what they have to offer life itself and i think that's a foundation that many people have to realize you make that and you have to do it because nobody else will do it for you. They have their own life that they want to build. And their own passions and dreams are only going to make them react or act in a certain way. And it's always for them. It's for the best for them. And once we realize this, we can actually give enough care to ourselves to worry about ourselves enough to care. And, and a lot of people self-sabotage because they're so uncertain about change. Change is a big thing in our life, and it's every day. But change is not always bad. Why do we always tend to see change as bad? Well, it's biological uh, way back for most of our history. Uncertainty is dangerous. That's why you see, so for example, these days with the conflict between people that are woke or anti-woke, they get into tribalism because they do not understand each other. And when you don't understand each other, you can't predict each other's actions. And when it's something unpredictable, it creates anxiety. And anxiety very often creates anger. I think that's a big problem. And, and, and I think it's a big problem that people are not able to have debate anymore. That's difficult to communicate. I think it's a very big problem that people have to listen. That, all, that people want to say what I can or cannot say. That's an extreme problem in my eyes. Yes. Because there's this culture that seems to celebrate victimhood where everybody has to take your needs into account and your ideas into account. But in my eyes, this is like a mother that is taking everything out of your hands, is always protecting you. And you never learn the resilience to say no, to, like I say, stand on your own two feet and say no. I believe we have to really support people that, that are discriminated against, absolutely. 
but we don't have to fight their fights. That's the yeah. worst thing you can do. In my way, there's a lot of people that talk about the decolonization. Well, to me, that's one of the most colonialist mindsets. As if you're a pastor that's going to show the world. No. Teach how to debate. Teach how to create movements. Teach how to hear words that you don't like and stay connected with the fact that you're both humans without dehumanizing each other because you disagree. So I work sometimes with companies where I really strive for what I call a full contact culture where everybody feels safe enough to be themselves, to be honest, to talk transparently, even say things that might be really offensive to each other. But in a structure where both start to realize we are all biased, every single one of us, what color, what race, every, every identity is the same. We are all biased. That's the way our brain works. It's a heuristics machine. It's a machine that creates shortcuts. It's an efficiency machine. And so once we start to realize that I am biased and can be biased and that other people are biased or can be biased, then we do not need to see disagreements as insults. Then we do not need to see the fact that somebody has another opinion, even thinks that I'm a horrible person. Take that personal. Once we start to be able to become non-reactive and to stay connected and ask each other questions, more and more questions, to really get to know each other, then magic will happen. And a beautiful example of this, I don't know if you know this individual, it's Daryl Davis. Do you know Daryl Davis? I do not. He's an African-American jazz singer. And this powerhouse is one of the only heroes that I have. And what does he do? He talks with Klu Klux Klan members and neo-Nazis. I know who you're talking about. Now I do, yes. Awesome. And so he talks with them. He keeps connected with them. He asks them questions. And he truly listens. He truly tries to understand those people. And because of his communications with those people, more than 220 of the extreme right people have hanged up their cloak. And I see this as a beautiful example of what that art of self-differentiation is, of what you can do in intimate relationships too. It's exactly the same skill to stay connected with the fact that we're both fallible humans and then start to have a real conversation long form and repeated building relationships. I advise companies instead of doing interventions where they do de-biasing, no, put people from very different groups together, extremely different groups and design tasks so that when that so that they only can succeed if they work together. And if yeah. you do that repeatedly, you're gonna see big shifts, real big shifts. But not because somebody from the top tells them how to think or what not to think or what to do or what not to do. No, you put them together, you give them the opportunity to interact, you give them a common goal, and it will work itself out. Yeah, that's right. You know, the power in that understanding that that's where a shift needs to occur. And yeah, I like the mother analogy. We we have been babysatted way too long. And discovering our freedoms means let them play in the park. You know, they're going to get bruised. They might get a scab, stub toe here or there. 
but overall they're going to learn to play together and that's that's a natural order of things that has always been here and when we start trying to alter and define the natural order i think it's risky and that's when we find these troubles in society we we've taken a big step in the wrong direction and it's up to individuals like us just to sit down and have long form conversations and it's even better if it is interracial or if you have homosexuals talking with uh, you know heterosexual these are the best conversations and when we find the people that can put away their differences and actually listen. That's where you find discovery and common ground. I, I really see a movement towards that coming back in our society. And I think podcasting and these long form conversations are really helping people discover how to sit down and be quiet and listen. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I love the form of podcasting. I love to feature on it too. For me, it's a much more humane way of sending my message to the world than me in front of a camera telling people what to do. I tried it. It's not my big forte. But I do love to have conversations. I love to hear your way of living, your way of looking at things, then I like to share mine and then see if we have common ground or if we disagree. Actually, I, I, I haven't come across a lot of people that disagree with me, but I would love to because in that moment, I love actually a little bit of a intellectual battle. It's nice. That's one thing that I also think that's one of the biggest problems. We all avoid conflict. But conflict is one of the best ways to deepen relationships, to deepen your relationship with each other, if you can do it based on intellectual conflict, intellectual friction, about the friction is about the content, not about the person. Big one. Where you can completely disagree about the subject or about the thing that you do or about your different needs and how to fulfill them, but not dehumanize the other person. All of a sudden, you don't love each other anymore because you have a fight. That's not how it goes. I believe that. Yeah. And when you, when you, it depends of culture, of course. When you look at the more Latin cultures, they are much more passionate. They fight a lot more, but they also have much more, much more other passion. It's very often very closely yes. related. Because when you fight, there's one thing that we forget. When we fight, it becomes really clear that we are two individuals. And when you are two individuals and your partner is still attracted to you, again, like I said before, then they choose you. Yeah, you know, that's big what you just said, you know, and that takes you back into your martial arts and fighting skills. When you're in the ring, and you have to face your opponent, there's a respect there. And anybody that doesn't have a fear going in, well, that's concerning, you know, because there's always those what ifs that can happen. So there's kind of a mutual respect that goes on there because you're stepping into a situation where you are putting yourself there for a sport and to hold your temper and your conflicts within your life, that's very difficult to do. And many great fighters end up being not so great because they bring their personal lives inside the ring and then they lose it. Can you give people tips on 
how to avoid that conflict in a conflict zone? Maybe a bit more precise with the question. Okay, well, let me An rephrase example. it like this. When, when you are stepping into the ring, you find mm -hmm. a mutual respect because you know that person has trained, that individual deserves mm -hmm. respect. Why is it so hard for individuals that haven't had training to understand that each of us deserves respect and you never know what one is capable of, but yet here we find ourselves disrespecting individuals in so many ways. So you have to have this maturity, if you will, when you step into the ring or else you won't go very far. You will be defeated because of your own actions. Does that help yes. in any way? I think a lot of disrespect comes from a disrespect for yourself. Mm -hmm. So there are a few ways. Very often, if you disrespect others, like I said before, these are mostly traits that you don't like in yourself. No. Perhaps you defeated those things, but are still afraid to fall back in those, or perhaps you still have those. That's one thing. The second thing is, well, again, tribalism. Me, us, it's fear, it's anxiety. And then it's easier to become harsher and act in a way that normally with people you like, you would hate to do when you disrespect them. It's a trick to fool ourselves that these people are worth less. And then you have, of course, the dark triads. A lot of people that are psychopaths, narcissists, and or Machiavellists. And you that's something that a lot of the self-help gurus don't talk about unless it's like... The, the, the problem is that there's too little talk about what I call the normal sadism. Yes, you have those people with uh, personality disorders and you know there are ways to find out if you're in a relationship with such a person. It's not so easy because they're, if they're smart, they're really tricky before you know, but that we don't have the space to really go deep into that today. But there's something that we have, we have normal marital sadism or family sadism, whereby, think about it, Think about all the fathers that are tickling their little baby daughters until she cries. Hi, it's funny, just funny. It's not funny. You're literally torturing this child. And what is really confrontive and painful for that kid is to see that you're enjoying her suffering. Or the, or the mother that starts to, to, uh, to make dirty jokes to the boy, to the friends of uh, her son to get a bit of attention. Ah, it's innocent. It's not innocent. She's, she knows and she sees the pain in, in her, her son's face and then she does even more. Well, on many other levels, they're very warm and loving and caring people. They're not narcissists. They're not psychopaths. And when you look at yourself, you can have that too sometimes. When you really look at yourself and dare to be honest with yourself, ooh, there are some very dark parts of yourself. And when we start to really open up for the possibility that we are all complex individuals, that we have very beautiful traits and very dark traits, in that moment, we can become really protected, much more protected against real psychopaths and real narcissists. But if we do not acknowledge that in ourselves and in the people that we love, then it's like our brain gets, pushes that away. It's like we have these glasses and we want, don't want to look at that dark side of the people that are around us. And that creates a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. 
because we will not then defend our needs, will not put up our boundaries, or will not cut off when it's really needed. And yeah, that's huge. Like my company is called Perform with Pleasure, but to me, pleasure is not what most people think pleasure is drinking, watching Netflix. No, pleasure is everything that fills up your cup. Everything that you do that afterwards you feel better. Might feel hard and difficult in the moment. It might be conflict, for example. But afterwards, it has filled up your cup. And once you start to realize this, then during the conflict, during the stressful moments, in that moment, it will be much more enjoyable to go to the hardships, then you will not be suffering because you embrace whatever life presents you with. Because if you want to feel, have the possibility to feel happy, to feel deep love, to feel absolutely successful, you have to open up for the possibility of failure. Otherwise, a victory is meaningless. For the possibility of losing that partner, because that's going to happen, of losing that, that love. So it's two sides of the same coin. If you want to live fully, if you want to live a full contact life, that is fulfilling, that is satisfying, you will have to open yourself up for pain, for anxiety, for sadness. But the nice thing is also, if you are, are in those less enjoyable moments, when you start to look into it, even in physical pain, if you really start to look into physical pain, start to focus in the body, and you start to look for pleasure, it's really fascinating because you will find it. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's a bio-psychological trick. The pleasure scan. You scan your body for pleasure. You have pain, you're going to look into it for pleasure. And, you, and the pain will still be there but pleasure too. So we have those two scales that always are moving, always dynamic, always complex. Yeah, life is so, so giving and taking at the same time. And it's really how we perceive everything. And it's hard to reach out and get involved with people because, you know, we, we've went through experiences and sometimes it's not pleasing but when you challenge yourself and get to know people and don't expect anything out of people just get to know the person it's fascinating i, I enjoy it so much tell people about your services how they can actually get involved with you and what what they can expect out of your services? Mm. Well, I have several services, but generally I work with ambitious people. If you have not achieved nothing, I will probably will not be the right guy for you unless you're really ambitious and you have decided now it has to change. Because I'm a champion, I like results. So before I work with somebody, I do uh, exploration talk, a talk like this where we start to discover, okay, what do you need? And am I the right person to help you? If not, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but once I start to work with people, mostly it's for three, two months to a year, where we really dive deep in what is needed for you. It's custom-made, it's bespoke. And we have a few things that I'm mostly focusing on. First of all, it's that non reactivity how can you stay cool in your mind while your body is going crazy in stress how can you keep seeing the bigger picture when it's really tough and then how and then that the basic techniques and you have some techniques that i use i use evidence-based hypnosis breath work uh, certain uh, focusing techniques, even some sensual tantric techniques who can help you to stay present in intense pleasure. But it's all the same. Whether you face uh, a fighter in the ring, the love of your life in bed, or uh, 
a panel at the, the, the boardroom, it's the same. You have to stay non-reactive, stay calm and cool in that intensity by embracing it, not by running away. So that's what I help people do. I help people to build and enjoy their ambitious lives while they're building it, you know, without having to hurt their health, without having to feel disconnected from everybody and from their lives. Yeah. And one of the best ways to, to connect with me is through Instagram or Facebook, just Nico Verezen. Uh, or you can go to my website, nicoverezen.org or performwithpleasure.com. It goes all to the same website. And uh, yeah, there you can find a bit more information about me and my work. Nico, you're a very powerful individual. I've waited for this conversation. And believe me, it, it lived up to the hype that I had in my head for it. You are very knowledgeable, understanding, and I'm very excited for people to get involved with you. And most of all, I want to say thank you for taking your time to spend it here with us today on the Dead America podcast. Fascinating individual. Thank you. Well, thank you for the invitation. I love what you are doing. You're really trying to help people to well, become all they can be. We need more of this, where people start to realize what is possible in their lives. Not what should happen, but what they choose to happen. That's right. You have to choose to make it happen. And that means putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, I love it. You got to do it to make it happen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, my man. See you. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.